So hello everybody and welcome to the final Falcon Falcons of the season. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As you're aware, um, Falcon Falcons has been a free podcast all year. It's always going to continue being free as long as we go. He says now before we want to make ourselves multi-millionaires. But um, something I haven't mentioned this year is that I've been training for a long distance walking event or the walk running event with a friend since January. Um, I Next weekend, the Saturday the 19th, I'm starting at Tynemouth at sunrise and trying to make my way to the Irish Sea by sunset. So that's 83 miles up the Tyne Valley and then down the other side in Cumbria, um, passing through Carlisle before going to Bonas and Solway. I'd be grateful if anyone who's listened to the podcast all year and fancies donating would do. Um, we'll post the address on social media, but for those that don't have it, it is justgiving.com slash fundraising slash solstice hyphen stupidity. And if you want to find it on social media, we'll put the link out there. And as always, Ian will tell you where to find that. Yep. So as always, um, social media in the same place. So Facebook, uh, just type in at Falcon Falcons. Same for Twitter, at Falcon Falcons. If, and if you would like to send us a direct email, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. Brilliant. So we'll put the, put the link up for that and probably harass you a couple of times over the coming days. And very, very much a, a big thank you if you do choose to put your hand in your pockets. Greatly appreciated. Um, I'll be raising money for... Kidney Research UK, which is a charity close to my heart, after having a family member who's experienced a transplant. This week, we've got quite a few topics to cover, um, given it's the end of the season. We'll be talking about today's match, how it ended up in 10th, whether it's a fair representation of the season, the fantastic news for our England call-ups, talk about a couple of new signings, potentially some leavings, and then a final roundup of the season and the, the table, etc. We'll be back next season, and we'll probably do a couple of special one-offs over the summer, because there's Obviously, the internationals with England, which we've got a few players involved with. And then there's also the Lions tour, which um, good bit of chat. And there's obviously going to be some other bits and bobs going on in the rugby world. So without further ado, let's get on with today's game. We had a final flourish where there were a few moments of brilliance, but overall comprehensively outplayed. Yeah, um, I think too many defensive frailties sort of right from the off. I thought it kind of showed in many ways sort of our good and bad sides quite well. In the last game of the season, um, the bad side showing that sometimes we can just sort of fall apart a bit in defence, and we do concede points too easily. And especially early on, from the couple of scrums where they just sort of waltzed in, Danny Carroll especially, I thought was pretty poor stuff. And as I say, pretty frail in in defence there. And the thing with with Harlequins is that if you give them time and space, and you allow the game to become really loose and broken, they'll just tear you to shreds. I think maybe Bristol, I, my personal opinion, probably the only other team which can probably put you to the sword in the way that they do in terms of when the, the play is loose. I'm not sure Exeter can sometimes be as good as, as Quinn's are with sort of ball in hand. But yeah, I mean, we, we kind of just <laughs> fell into their hands really in that regard. It was a hot day. It was a perfect day for, for backs to kind of pass it out, not so much for, for your front row forwards, um, but for the backs especially. And it was, that's a game they like to play. You know, they're quite strong in the set piece, but that's kind of where our positives are. I mean, you know, again, tries from McGuigan and even Blamire at the end, um, really good sort of, you know, you're driving malls. Our forwards are pretty good all day. Wilson did a couple of good turnovers. Um, no complaints. So I thought in that regard, it kind of showed that, you know, our good sides, even Radwan, of course, during sort of his individual brilliance. So there, there were parts. And, you know, at the end of the day, we just get a try bonus point away at, at Quinn's, which is no small feat. Um, but, yeah, it was just all kind of the negative elements that go, I suppose, and how we were really just sort of cut to ribbons by, you know, to be fair to them, a, a very, very good side. Yeah, so we started off the the day with the almost good news that... Um, 
the London Irish camp had experienced the COVID outbreak. So their match against Bristol was um, cancelled, as they all are these days. So that meant that Bristol finished the league top, but it meant that London Irish got the two points, which, although it put them ahead of us at that time, it meant that if we won, which is what we had to do in the first place, then it kind of removed the possibility of them gaining four points, which would have meant they would finish higher. So our task was basically to win with more bonus points than Wasps would get, assuming Wasps lost, or um, if Wasps beat Leicester to get a massive points difference swing, so we would end up with Leicester if they had no bonus points. So it was a bit frustrating for me at the start, actually, because BT Sport changed the channel at very late notice. They put it on BT Sport 2, not BBC, BT Sport 3. So it turned out to be on the channel that was actually scheduled for London Irish v uh, Bristol. But anyway, um, I missed the first five minutes and consequently turned it on at 7-0 down, which was a bit annoying I missed that. But then what I saw then was Falcons get the, the territory and uh, McGuin get his first try. But then it's so often the case, we gave them one back straight away before we got another one, which unfortunately kind of hit the post from. And then um, for the rest of the first half, we had a, a few moments of brilliance. Carreras looking particularly lively, but um, as you said, there was just a few fundamentals in defence where Quinn, as soon as they got that half inch, they took a mile and just waltzed through and um, made us look quite amateur at times. Yeah, I thought that especially in the first half, I thought despite how really dangerous they looked um, and with the possession that they had, they weren't actually getting into our 22 much, but when they did, and often it was sort of again on the break or in broken play, um, they took advantage of it. I think it was only the, the one time where we sort of managed to work a turnover where first half where they didn't, every, almost every visit they came away with, with a try. Um, and, you know, obviously we just didn't do that, um, even though we did, obviously did get a couple of good tries ourselves. Um, and again, I think that's sort of been our problem all season as well, hasn't it? Where if we have sort of been down there, we haven't taken chances and we've allowed other teams to to respond either very quickly, usually from kickoffs. In this case, it was a line-out as well. Um, and just kind of let teams take easy points from us from actually not many visits now, 22. Um, and that's really kind of what happened. I think in many ways the killer was the, the try for half-time because when you go in nine points down, you know, you sort of think, considering, you know, we were capable of, more capable of scoring, you think, you know, all right, nine points down, still a whole half to go, you know, we're more you know, more than well in in this game. But I think it was just the way the game was going, how good Quinns are. You know, I just thought that once they got that try right on half time, it was going to be a really, really tough ask. And, you know, that's what it proved to be. I think in some ways, the second half, we were kind of forcing it a bit. And we just, even though we could, we got one back, it, it never kind of looked like that we were going to sort of really shorten the deficit, really. At half time, it's incredibly frustrating because. Looking around the scores elsewhere in the Premiership, um, Bath were getting beaten by Northampton, which um, obviously we needed to happen. And then uh, Leicester were holding Wasps quite effectively. So we're at the start of the second half, we were really in the position where we had to score three tries, um, or get three more tries than them in the second half, and then we'd potentially be in a position where we might end up in the Heineken Cup next season. Got off to a slow start, and obviously they pulled away a bit further, and then by that point it was pretty much gone. But... We had that moment of brilliance from Radwan where it got me on the edge of the seat and I thought, oh, possibly there's a sliver of hope here. But um, unfortunately, uh, never materialised much more than that. But what a try that was. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's what he's all about, isn't he? And he's just going to be so confident at the moment, isn't he? I mean, he's he's been brilliant since he has returned. He's got some absolutely fantastic tries. And the one today, is, I suppose, is as good as any of them because... 
you've got to think just how, how much he had to do and how far out he was. I mean, the kick through last week, obviously, down the left wing was, was a you know good piece of sort of you know, know-how thing. Oh, you know, I can see the space, whatever. But this one, he had so much to do and he still did it. And it was, yeah, he, he was also going out. What did he sort of, he outpaced the fullbacks. Um, it wasn't just sort of a, you know, a bunch yeah, of forwards yeah. he had to do. It was all sorts. And it, he had so much ground to cover. And, you know, I thought, certainly I think once he broke a couple of the tackles, you only knew it was, knew it was going to happen. So he'd be one winner. It was just, yeah, I think at that stage, sort of thought, well, you know, maybe there's a glimmer of hope. But then, of course, in usual Falcon style, we conceded almost straight afterwards, didn't we? If we go back to that Radwan try, um, when, he, when he skinned a couple of forwards, you think, oh, well, kind of what a, a top quality international winger should be doing. Then he kind of did his pirouette, I mean, always running backwards for a step or two and managed to keep his balance. And then he just went up another gear that I think the only time I've seen him quite in full flight like that has been against Ealing last season. It reminded me quite a bit of it, where he just seemed to get faster and faster and faster. and just He left backs in his wake. And it's one thing to leave a forward clutching thin air, but, but I think it was Danny Kerr and the fullback. There were no slouches. He just pulled away from them into another gear. Well, to me, I think it was Green was one of them as well. And, you know, we all know how quick Green is. I mean, obviously, I know he scored a try from not far out today, but, you know, his really good try against us at Kingston Park earlier on the season where he ran pretty much almost half the pitch. Um, you know, he's obviously no slouch. Um, and he just did him, didn't he? Um, but as I said, I mean, his confidence was sky high. And, and you know, obviously, as a, as a team, it wasn't great today. You know, obviously, disappointing result in the scoreline. But for I think as a personal performance for him going into England, I think, I know the squad will be cut, but I think he must be very much in Eddie Jones's plans for, for those games. And I, I'm sure he will actually get a lot of games. He may even start, actually. Um, I think because there's been so much attention about him and it's been noticed. And to his credit, he's only stepped it up today because, he, you know, it hasn't like gone to his head. He hasn't sort of had a bad game today, which you sort of think, you know, uh, it's not exactly great to go to England cap, you know, on the back of a stinker. He's obviously stepped it up. Everyone will see, you know, it, and it's not just that he's scoring those tries at Kingston Park. He's scoring tries like that at places like the Stoom, where he, you know, you get noticed nationwide. Um, so I think that's really important for him as well. And I think that was obviously pleasing for him to get the try because obviously he won the score tries of the match, but personally pleasing for him for him to sort of continue his try scoring form going into those internationals. Yeah, um, I think also what's encouraging for me in terms of his England selection is I'd say one of the areas of his game which um, I don't think necessarily appeals to Eddie Jones so much might be that he's not the tallest. And I know Eddie Jones likes the the Brutes, he's quite a fan of big wingers who um, under the high ball are quite effective. But today, um, Radwan was incredibly effective under the high ball. He was getting extremely high jumping. Like we said with this defence all season, it's another area of his game which has really improved. And um, yeah, hopefully set some good set. But also just on that, um, so the game finished off. I thought the scoreline was the best team definitely won on the day, but I think it was a bit flattering to Harlequins. Um, but as, as we said, we got, the, we got the bonus point, which meant that um, we... Ended up finishing the table in 10th. Fortunately, in a way, the scores elsewhere ended up such that even had we won with a bonus point, uh, we wouldn't have finished 8th. So I guess it's slightly less frustrating than it could have been. It would, still, would have still been nice to finish with a flourish, but yeah, it's not like we got beaten, well beaten and therefore didn't qualify. It's due to our poor results earlier in the season, isn't it? That's the, the reason that we finished where we did. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned before, it's... It's no second half since Gloucester Wasps, I think, really, isn't it? Um, that's really sort of what's done for us. Possibly the the Worcester call-off as well, where 
I think we probably would have won that. So you would have fought four or five points instead of two. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to kind of, you know, other teams probably have times where they've been unlucky or whatever and they've dropped points. So I don't mean you look at it, it too much, really. Um, but yeah, I, it, it is a tinge of frustration because to have come so close and, um, and it was kind of in our hands as well, really, especially, you know, with those Wasps and Gloucester games and we haven't sort of imploded and we picked up more points there. We would have been in a really, really good position and I think deservedly really good position as well. It's just, yeah, it, it is a, it's just a bit of frustration, I guess. But as you say, I guess the only solace is the fact that if we, even if we had a, a fantastic win today, we still wouldn't have qualified, which would have been a bit frustrating. But as you say, it would have been nice to finish on a flower. Yeah, we started off the season very well. Um, we had that middle spell, which certainly did for us when we lost game after game after game for a couple of months. And then um, I think we actually finished the season on a relatively positive note as well. So um, hopefully going into next season, uh, keep everyone fit. We build the squad well and maybe get a couple of good signings. Um, do you think it was a fair position we ended up in or do you think we were a little bit unlucky? I mean, if I was to be really picky, I would say probably ninth would have been more fair considering that we've won quite a few more games in Irish. But <clears throat> I think nine or ten is probably about right. I suppose if, if we do take a step back, I know we talked about sort of the frustration, disappointment that we came so close this season and really, you know, we probably should have done better in, in hindsight. But if we do take a step back, if you told us start season, oh, you finished 10, but absolutely miles ahead of bottom and ahead of Gloucester, you would have, you know, I've, well, just wouldn't have believed you, quite frankly. Um, so I think, you know, if we look at it from that aspect, the position is is, is really, really positive. I, I guess it also frustrations that, well, how many years is you going to have eight places for the Hanking Cup? And, you know, this was a great chance. But, you know, all things considered, you know, I obviously won the championship last season, you know, finish a very comfortable 10 for this season. Um, it's progress. And it's last time that happened was the season before we finished fourth. So, you know, it, it's all about kind of using this, on the whole, positive season, I would say. And, you know, look, look to next season, try and look at, look at the table, really. Yeah, I think what's also encouraging and also a bit frustrating is we, we finished where we did, um, obviously, could have won more games, but we got very few bonus points. And what's encouraging is the last few games of the season, we've actually picked up bonus points if we ignore the Exeter match. So we were able to score tries and we've proved we're able to score tries and we aren't losing any players who are try scorers. We're only going to be gaining them. So um, fingers crossed we can kind of keep the momentum from this season going over the summer. The guys playing some international games will hopefully, uh, they, unless they get injured, I can't see it making them any worse, I players. So hopefully next year we can't set off on the front foot. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, I think we do genuinely have a lot of reason for optimism for, for next season. I mean, that will be helped or, or tempered a bit, depending, I guess, on who we sign and how many signings we do make. But there's no reason, I, you know, I do think that we will be better next season than we will be this season. I know that's sort of sticking my neck out, but, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of factors that contributed to the sort of slump, a lot of them being COVID-related and the structure of that course. I think if you take that out of the picture, and, you know, and as you say, um, the sort of strong finish of this season, the fact that, I think performances have improved and we are picking up, but we're, we're scoring more tries, basically. And that, that's the key thing. And, and as you say, bonus points are important. Even if, even if we even if we lose games, we want to still pick up bonus points. So that, that, that's how you get up the league. So I, I, I'm genuinely optimistic about next season. I think the 
it's interesting to obviously think about what other teams are going to be like. And I don't know if it's too easy to kind of become pessimistic because our oh, gloss are going to be as bad next season. A wash going to be as bad next season. Will London Irish make, uh, you know, loads of more big money signings. Uh, uh, you know, will Bath be better? You know, so whilst I do think we may well be better, you know, you look at the teams down there and you think, well, are they going to have, as poor or as disappointed season again as, as they are this season. And then I also think Worcester would be an interesting one because, uh, you know, as well, as some of you may be aware, they've released or sold 20 players <laughs> over the summer. So they're completely rebuilding their team. Now, does that mean that they're going to, it could mean that they're suddenly a lot better next season, in which case are we sort of thinking, uh-oh, you know, because quite obviously it's our interest to have a, a really bad Worcester or do those if they are going to buy a whole new squad, you know, do, do they just not gel or that, you know, just doesn't work in which case do, do they not progress? And that's what's good news for us. So as a, whilst we can be optimistic, there are some sort of interesting question marks over next season, really. And I guess that kind of adds to the excitement of the league as a whole, really, I suppose. We mentioned it a couple of times already, the Falcons players that got an England call-up and we discussed our kind of crystal ball last week of who might do. Um, so to summarise, um, in the forwards, we've got Trevor Davison, Robinson, Chick and Blamire. Then the backs, we've got Adam Radwan. Eyebrows raised, I think, uh, some people have been joking that Eddie Jones picked the uh, wrong hooker for Nick Falcons by accident. But um, I think that's a little bit harsh on Blamire. I think it very easily could have been both of, um, him and McGuigan getting selected. But um, unfortunately, McGuigan's missed out. I can only assume it's due to age, not anything else. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to have to be down to age because... I mean, he showed today he didn't score two tries. I mean, obviously, he rates Falcons hookers because, you know, why would you look at Blamire, who's been very much the understudy to, to McGuigan? I mean, we all know Blamire's got a lot of potential. Um, I mean, we, you know, when we see him play, we see how powerful he is. You know, he's scored a couple of good tries this season. He's definitely going to only improve in the future. So I think with McGuigan, as you're right, it, it's got to be a case that he's just, he's just unfortunately the wrong age. And you really have to feel for him because. You know, he's hitting the right form. He must be one of the best English hookers. You may be better than Blamire at the moment. Um, and probably for someone who is kind of on the fringes, when there is a Lions tour, this is your chance, this is your moment. And he will be too old, obviously, when this kind of opportunity comes around again, unless he is just picked purely on form because he's so consistently good for us over the, over the next season or whatever, which the way Eddie Jones makes selections is probably not going to happen, but you do have to really feel for him. And I think that was a surprise, but I think as you say, perhaps as an age factor, maybe not so much of a surprise, but let's not take anything away from, from Blamire. I mean, that's well-deserved. Yeah. I really feel for McGuigan because in 2016, when he first moved to Leicester, he got a couple of um, Saxons appearances, as is often the case. I think that he was overlooked at the Falcons. And then he moved to Leicester, lo and behold, gets them in his first season. And then, he came back to Newcastle and he's playing the form of his life now, I think. And once again, I think he's just purely been overlooked because of the club he plays for. Um, one thing to note with his England appearances, though, for the Saxons, and I believe they weren't full internationals, that meaning that he is still eligible to play for Ireland. And he played Ireland under 20s and I think under 18s as well. I know Ireland have a reasonably good front row already, but do you think he might just stick his hat in the ring again and say, if you want me, come and get me? I mean, I don't. No, in terms of the Pro 14, what other Irish competition there, there is at hooker, but certainly in the Premiership, what other Irish hookers are there? I suppose it could challenge him, certainly in the Premiership. I, I think if you're, 
I think if you're the Irish coaching staff and you see he's not selected for England, I think you just take the opportunity over the summer to snap him up so then he can only play for Ireland and he's there for consideration uh, for, for the future because... Um, I mean, I don't know in terms of Ireland. I think Ireland are having a problem at the moment in terms of their player base and, and sort of replacing a lot of their, their older generation. You know, we mentioned obviously about his age, but, you know, in many ways, age is only a number. And if a player is on form, then, you know, you, you pick him and you, and you play him. Um, and I, on one hand, I would be kind of disappointed to see him play for Ireland. So obviously I want to, I'd love him to see play for England. But I think on a personal note, I would love him to, to see him playing international rugby, which I think is, he, he deserves it. Um, though I wouldn't be so pleased if he's playing for Ireland and he's missing a load of Falcons games during the Six Nations period, uh, especially if Blumayas picked for England as well. I might have a problem there. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I, if I was, as I said, if I was Irish coaching staff, I would be having a good look at him. Yeah, and the other guys that got called up, um, Sean Robinson, I think the, the national press didn't really much make of that. They Half of them seem to have never heard of him, call themselves rugby pundits. And I think Callum Chick, he's proved at younger ages that he's very good in the, the white jersey. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted for him, being a Ponting and RFC guy like me. Very good news. And I think, uh, once again, thoroughly deserved. Yeah, I have to say, actually, when we try to sort of make our predictions, uh, I have to admit you were more accurate than I was, because I think you're the one who in particular said about Chick. And I wasn't so sure about Robinson, if I remember correctly. You were more confident that perhaps he could be utilised by England. Um, and lo and behold, that there he was. Uh, I mean, Trevor Davidson, that's a, of course, got to mention him. Um, again, you, you obviously gave him time last week um and that that's great isn't it because i mean that that kind of maybe i'm being a bit optimistic here but i'm hoping there's been a shift from any journey maybe from the rfu to look at players who haven't come from this you know we've mentioned it before on the podcast traditional english pathway you know you sort of groomed at a young age gone through all the england levels and gone through for particular clubs and, and whatever you know or, you know everyone knows about trevor davis you know delivering beer you know, five years ago, you know, playing Bladen's second team, and there he is on the verge of becoming an international this year. So, I mean, that, that's brilliant. Again, that, that that's well-deserved, because we've mentioned over the weeks, well, what other English props are there that are actually doing better than he is? And there's your answer, not many, because he, he's finally been recognised. So I think that in particular, and I mean, as a front row forward myself, I, I love to see that. I'm so happy to see Falcons' representation in the front row for England. Um, obviously, this is only Saxons we're talking about. I say Saxons, it's not. It's England Day. And I say only, it's not. It's still players that are playing for their country, which is um, obviously excellent. Um, if we were to look at future England squads for the, the kind of the speech marks full internationals, um, out of the five that have been named, if I'm honest, I see Trevor Davison being potentially the one that's going to have the longest career or the most caps out of the, those guys. Partly because of his age, he's still not terribly old. And partly because I actually think that in terms of his ability in his primary position, um, he probably is most in line with kind of the England way. And by what I mean is he's a prop who props well and he does get around the park a reasonable amount for a prop. He doesn't make cantering runs, but he makes a lot of tackles. He hits the rooks. He carries the ball effectively. Um, I can see Blamaya being in squads, but I, I just think that there will be another hooker that um, gets preference, probably just because of the, the club that they end up with. And also, hooker's one of the, the positions where um, they get a lot of attention because they tend to get a few tries at the back of malls. And I can see that some hooker is not 
not as good, but happens to play for, I don't know, Leicester or Wasps or somewhere, I'll end up getting quite a few good stats on a spreadsheet somewhere. I just think the competition in the second and back rows um, makes it so much harder for Chicken Robinson to to get a proper foothold. Yeah, I mean, we've got to remember, of course, that they haven't picked the uh, players from the, fin- the Premiership finalists, haven't they? So, obviously, they would come in and, and take a lot of the places. And um, that's even before you do the line selection. So, you're right there. I mean, a, a, there's a lot of competition there. But it's a chance for, for these players to really sort of make a mark, I suppose, and kind of, even if they're not going to immediately be in, in England's plans for the next year or two, you know, at least, you know, uh, put a performance in which coaching staff can take note for the future, because Blumont is quite clearly one for the future. He's going to be in there to kind of get the experience. They obviously look at him and think, oh, you know, we can kind of groom him. He's, he's somebody we can really kind of develop into someone who can challenge regularly for, for the squad. Um, going back to, to War Trev, um, one thing I do like about him, actually, and my God, doing the need it, is I think his discipline's really good. Um, you don't see him, you know, make, give away stupid penalties, you know, like, you know, your Sinclairs are, in particular, um, you, you see, and that sort of thing. You just kind of, you know, he, he, the impression that I get from him is there's no nonchalance of it as well. He just, he just seems like an honest sort of lad. You, you know, you, you get on with the game, as you say. Um, and, yeah, I think his discipline's great. And, He's, he's so solid in the, in the scrum as well. I mean, when, when you watch sort of if there are any sort of infringements, it's very rarely him. And obviously England's problem at the moment, it is discipline. And you want players, especially who are going to be regular and set pieces, to have good discipline. And I think he absolutely takes that box. And I think someone like him would be a really good influence in the squad anyway, as someone who has come from a different background and can add something different to what England don't have at the moment. So I think you're right in that, I think we could see we could see Davison for quite a long time, I hope, in an England shirt. And do you think the England squad's going to get, get a bit of a shock when they have five guys from Newcastle turn up who aren't all wearing back-to-front baseball caps and flip-flops? Because you see the sort of uh, social media drivel that half the people in contention for England places put out. And I think that, um, especially Trevor Davison, he's not going to be down for that, is he? He's got... Uh, a number two ginger lid on it. It's not like a manicured brill cream or anything, is it? Well, this is what I, I said before, sort of, I, you know, I optimistically hope that perhaps there is a, a shift or change of sort of attitude or direction where they are looking at players who haven't come through a traditional pathway. They're not picking players who have the most followers on social media or whatever. They're picking players who actually, by club form, by league form, deserve to be there, not players who play for Saracens and played for several months sort of thing. Um you know, and that we've talked about it before, obviously, after Six Nations, that, you know, there needs to be a shift toward a different, completely different attitude. We need sort of root and, bran- root and branch change in how we look at players that are selected for England and start with people like Davison's and Robinson's and, and you know, even Blamires, you know, these sorts of players. That's what you want. You know, you want, you want people, you, you want kind of people with that edge. You want people like Blamire, you want people who like Davison, who are no nonsense, but at the same time are disciplined. You know, they're not, they don't, they're not stupid. They don't give away stupid panels. They don't throw things away. They, you know, they play the game sensibly. They play the game correctly and with a lot of determination and a lot of discipline. And that's what England need because that's what England's failings have been is that we just, we've always kind of shot ourselves in the foot with ill discipline. And, you know, we have these players who always flatter to deceive and who are picked purely because of their name or the club they play for rather than their form. And 
by selecting these players, at least on the surface, shows that perhaps there is a different mindset now. You know, I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward, as you say, quote unquote, full internationals, or they're just kind of quite rightly trying new players out for, for these couple of summer internationals. But I, I hope there is a sort of change in emphasis because England really need it. And I think it'd be healthy, not just for the England team, but for and not just for the premiership, but for the whole sort of rugby structure, because it can really show that no matter what club you play for, no matter what your background is, no matter what job you had, you know, a couple of years ago, no matter, you know, what team you're playing at your local amateur club, you could realistically play for England. Entirely. When, when we're on, uh, kind of, we mentioned a bit earlier, the, the Worcester revamp they're getting, and um, a bit of news that came up this week is we're uh, picking up two of their old boys. I think you've done a bit of research on them. I have to admit, I... I'd recognise their name from team sheets, but I didn't know much more about them. So do you want to give um, everyone listening a overview as to who these two chaps are? Yeah, so the first one, uh, George Merrick. Um, so he turned out quite a few times Harlequins, 50 games, I think. Um, he then went to Claremont. I don't know if it was on loan or just a season-long deal before coming to, to Worcester for this season. Was it in 2019? So, um, yeah, so he's had it a couple of years at Worcester and he's he's part of the clear out obviously Dino has decided to step him up um, there is obviously a link there because he would have been at Harlequins when Nick Easter was there and you know we all know about Dino's Harlequins links anyway so perhaps they know something about the player and obviously like him and think he can kind of add something to, to the squad um, the other one uh, is Palferman who South African prop so he played for London Irish for quite a few years he arrived in England for 2012 we wondered if there was a, another Nick Easter connection because he's actually played for Natal Sharks youth setter but um, he he came to England when he was 18 so obviously there's no there's no tenuous link there at all but um so he played for London Irish for a lot a few years and then he went to London Scottish before being snapped up by Worcester I think only last year or, or a year maybe a year before and yeah again he, he's part of the clear out and uh, Dino talks about sort of it in the bump on the website saying you know they hope that they could sort of add competition so in terms of where they'll be in the squad I don't know if they'll necessarily be starting because as we all know actually our form is pretty stronger as it is uh, maybe they're just kind of brought in to add competition and maybe it raises some question marks about some players who are leaving and they're brought in to kind of well replace numbers in the squad and, and as it says to it says on the website to bring in extra competition you say extra competition I th- I'm thinking um Along the lines of preservation of depth. The reason I say that is we know that this year what happened when we had a few injuries and what have you, and um, we ended up once we got beneath the the main first team and the the, the wider first team squad. There's a there's a big golfing class, and I'm wondering whether in the back of his mind uh, Richard is slightly concerned about the fact he's got so many England call ups because potentially we've got um, a pack where half of our starting. Pack won't be able to play if they'll get selected for England. If Wilson's still in the fray as well, and then um, it, it might just be that we need a, a bit more depth. I don't know whether there's potential that I suppose Blamire starts getting called up for full internationals. Whether we'd want um, to potentially have Cooper back in, in hooking instead of propping, and then we might have a replacement front row. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess a lot of it's sort of in the dark because we don't know what the other recruitment is. Um, we don't really know sort of what, what they plan to do in terms of squads for, for the upcoming year. But but yeah, as you said, one of the main problems we had this year was squad depth, um, and that contributed to sort of the downturn in form where we had players missing, um, and we had to use some of the squad players. It just wasn't the same. It just didn't click because... 
I suppose just didn't have the ability or the same or weren't on the same form or because of lack of game time, because there's no A-League uh, this season, they just sort of didn't click. Um, so maybe, and also I think maybe if you start bringing in, that, well, that is no point actually, it's just sort of occurred to me is that a lot of our squad players were kind of, had championship experience, weren't they? That's where we sort of signed them from. That's where they play most of their time. These players obviously have had more top flight experience. So if you add, if your squad has more top flight experience, even if they are going to be more squad players, obviously when you're using the idea, I suppose, is that they have that, perhaps extra ability or extra top flight experience. And that obviously contribute positively to, 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 um, to games where we are using more, more of a squad. Um, but I mean, I suppose it's nice to see that obviously signings are starting to come in now. And I guess fingers crossed for some, a few more over the coming months, but I would like to see some more reinforcements in the backs. I'm sure most, most fans will, but long time to go. So fingers crossed. Yes, uh, sorry if you heard some fireworks in the background there. Some, I think some some Bristol fans somewhere must be uh, celebrating winning the league. I'm not sure if they came through on the mic, but um, I, I don't really know what the, the reason is for setting off fireworks on a Saturday evening at 10 o'clock at this time of year. Might be me missing some festival or something, I don't know. In terms of levers, I don't think anything's officially been released about um, contracts not being renewed, etc. But there's an interesting post from Luther Burrell this week on social media. Yeah, so um, I was dead trendy and I saw his Instagram um, and he put something up where, you know, there's a picture of some of the squad members um, in a changing room and talking about, you know, oh, good luck. There's some, you know, some people going, leaving going on new journeys or whatever, that sort of thing. So uh, we got us sort of wondering, you know, the, the players in the picture, did he reference some of them or was he just kind of saying it in general? But um, I mean, obviously the players will know that some of them aren't going to be there next season. I suppose we're just kind of awaiting some sort of official confirmation. But um, in terms of who's leaving, I, I don't know, because we kind of speculated about the players in the picture, but, you know, you can never really tell these sort of things. In my rugby news this week, um, we were expecting to hear a resolution on what was going to happen regarding relegation this season. It, it was initially scheduled to be on Friday, and then it was announced that it was going to get pushed back to late June. I don't know what the official line on this is, but I can't help but look at it with cynicism. That being because at the same time this week, Ealing have been told that they're not eligible to get into the Premiership even if they um, win the playoffs in the Championship. That because their ground only has 5,000. They were hoping to move to Loftus Road where QPR play football. Um, apparently that's 4-3, but um, Ealing, um, I think I'm right in saying, have a, a, tell the RFU they've got an agreement with an undisclosed venue which meets the RFU's ground requirements which um, they're not going to release because of a non-disclosure agreement, which I, I kind of understand. But um, as it stands, I think Ealing are considering whether to launch uh, legal fashion, uh, legal fashion, legal action in Ealing fashion, if they were to win the playoffs. Probably won't happen, so it's just a bit of a, a moot point. But at the same time, um, the RFU have made an allowance for Saracens. Um, so Saracens used to play at the Aviva Stadium, exactly the same ground. Um, is now called the SpaceX Stadium, except it's not exactly the same ground because they're undergoing refurbishments, meaning that Saracens now no longer have capacity for the minimum ground requirements. I think it's 10,000 you've got to be able to seat. Lo and behold, the RFU said, actually, it's fine because you started these works, or you told us about these works two years ago. Therefore, there's dispensation because you're, in theory, improving the ground. I don't know what you, what you could do to not improve that ground because... Um, for those of us that have gone, um, I think we'll all agree it's terrible. It feels like a school gymnasium down one side with some 
plastic stands shoved around it. I think that, that they've got temporary stands. And I'd like to say that Kingston Park in the olden days, but Kingston Park in the olden days were better, I'd say, because you could stamp your feet and make a racket on the floor, whereas you can't uh, do that there. Sarah's concerned. So, I don't know. The cynic in me says that it's, um, once again, a stitch up by the RFU, but who knows? Um, yeah, I think uh, I share your cynicism there. As you say, I mean, Saracen's ground, whatever they choose to call it nowadays and have in the past, is is probably the worst the worst rugby ground I've ever been to, certainly. It's, as you say, there's, I mean, you've got a running track there. It looks like the sort of a school sports hall is one of the a mini school sports hall of that, sort of one of the sides of the ground. You've got temporary wheeled out seating and all sorts. It's, um, <clears throat> I'm not surprised they want to redevelop it. Um, but um, as you say, I think... Um, <clears throat> It is a bit rich, um, and it's just—it's quite funny because you talk about obviously Ealing, you know, in Ealing fashion, want to go to the courts, which of course what Ealing do, and then in typical Saracens fashion, finding some way to kind of get around all the rules and regulations. So I think in many ways, it's kind of a final made for each other. But um, I mean, with Ealing sort of looking to find a ground, I mean, one of Ealing's main arguments is, is that you know that they're building, they want the opportunity to kind of build up as a club, and being in the Premiership, we would do that. Um, I don't like to see teams, perhaps in Ealing's position, I say London Welsh, who kind of desperately try to tick all the boxes to to, to kind of satisfy their project criteria, where they're only very much sort of short-term plaster fixes. You know, I think if Ealing want to have genuine serious considerations about being the Premiership, then they have to improve their ground. Because some, some of those who have been to Ealing, it, it is a... For like a, a championship ground, it's a really nice little ground. But I agree in that it's just not suitable for the premiership. It, there's only one really small sort of seated stand. Yes, they have the, the temporary stand at, at the end, but even then that's just not enough. I mean, one side of the ground is, is just a, an amateur playing pitch, which I played on about two or three times. So they do need the requirements for that ground. I just think, you know, if Ealing off do want to kind of back up you know, they're sort of words by saying they want the opportunity to kind of grow, then they have to kind of prove that they do have a ground. At least Saracens are sort of, yeah, I know it's a bit fishy in the technically at the moment they don't have the ground, but at least, you know, they are improving their ground and obviously they have the capacity and finances to do that. So I think, you know, before Ealing sort of criticizes about that, they should sort of look at themselves a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole sort of championship season, the stitch-up is just, just reeks of, as you say, cynicism and backhandedness and just trying to get get Saracens up. Yeah, and the delay the delaying of the decision itself as to what the performance of Premiership is going to be in currently is, I think, once again, just um, it's it's so they can make sure Saracens are in it. Apparently, nothing's off the table yet. This, the list of suggestions, I believe, includes a sixteen-team Premiership all the way through to no relegation at all, with a playoff of top and bottom or bottom and top, if you want to put it the other way around. Uh, like it has happened in the past, but it'd be an interesting one if they expand it beyond 13 teams, because if then they'd suddenly have to find three teams that don't currently have the Premiership standard of ground to put in, which would mean teams, I don't know, have either three months or 15 months to suddenly come up with a ground share agreement, presumably with the football club elsewhere, or I don't think there are any other grounds that would be suitable apart from football grounds. So it's one of these things where it's basically just a guarantee that they can get Saracens in the Premiership and then I know that you want um, ring fencing. I don't, but that's an argument that we can have once again every single other day that we chat about it. Right, so here comes the final roundup of the Premiership season. Um, this weekend, only four games were played. They all, all kicked off uh, today, being Saturday at three o'clock. So Bath beat Northampton 30 points to 24 after coming from behind. 
Bristol London Irish is one of the ones that was uh, cancelled because of coronavirus. So look, Bristol picked up four points and consequently won the league. London Irish ended up with two. Exeter beat Sale uh, 20 points to 19 and a, a, quite a comeback that one. So that means that Exeter finished second and Sale third, which means that Exeter get their so-called advantageous I home semi-final as opposed to it being Sale. But that was right in the balance and Sale winning that one by quite a margin at one point. Um, Harlequins obviously beat us 54 points to 26, which I think is uh, just a, a bit harsh. And then Wasps ends up getting a losing bonus point and a four-try bonus point at home to Leicester in their 31-38 defeat, which meant that even if we had got our five-point win, we wouldn't have ended up in the high cup spot of eighth. And then finally, um, Worcester versus Gloucester was another cancellation. That leaves the final premiership table as follows. Outright first was Bristol with 85 points, followed by Exeter with 82, Sale with 74, Harlequins with 71. That's the top four, so I believe the playoffs will be Bristol versus Harlequins and Sale versus Exeter. Northampton ends up with 57, with Leicester on 54, followed by Bath with 52. Wasps had 50, London Irish had 48, we had 45, as did Gloucester. We finished ahead of them because we'd won more games. I have to apologise that um, last week we were unaware that victories was the determining factor, and thank you to... Mark Smith, we believe, off of the Falcons, who pointed out that to us. Um, the only way it would have ended up coming into it is if we did end up in the same points as Leicester because they uh, could have potentially lost to Wasps, but never ended up happening. Um, Gloucester ends up with 45, but obviously fewer games won than us. And then finally, Worcester on 22 points. There's something for those who like their sports stats. This is the first time that both Newcastle Falcons and Newcastle United finish the season on the same amount of league points. So there you go. There we go, indeed. And I, I, I guess, um, who's happier with the season? I, I don't think as many Falcons fans are saying sack Dino as there are Newcastle United fans are shouting sack Cabbage Heed. But um, it's interesting, you've got Cabbage Heed and Cauliflower Ears in charge of the clubs. There we go. On that note, we will speak to you a couple of times over the summer to catch my rugby's, but thank you very much, loyal supporters. And we'll speak to you next season. So it's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.